Hello, this is Darren Pulsifer, Chief Solution Architect of Public Sector at Intel. And welcome to Embracing Digital Transformation, where we investigate effective change leveraging people, process, and technology. On today's episode, creating a generative AI policy with returning guest, Jeremy Harris. All right, Jeremy, welcome back to the show. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, it's been hmm, a couple of years since you've been on, right? Yeah, it has. Yeah, it's been a little while. Yeah, last time you were sitting at our uh, dining room table. Um, That's right. Yeah, this time, even though you could come down, Jeremy is my neighbor, <laughs> by the way. Um, we decided to do it this way. We'll see if it works. Um, well, I figured this would be more along the lines of all of the other people who you get to interview. So I feel like I'm like actually like qualified to be here on your show instead of just hanging out at your house. So. Yeah, that's true. Last time we had to, you know, put our snacks away in the card game we were playing right. before we did it. So, right. Yeah. It makes it a little easier, a little more professional, I guess, yeah, I if you want to so. call it that. Um, just so people know, Je uh, Jeremy, you're a lawyer, specifically you practice privacy law um, in the healthcare industry. And mm -hmm. uh, this crazy thing happened about, what, nine months ago? No, longer than that now. We're in October, almost 10 months ago, um, generative AI was kind of born. Yeah. Um, I will say this. Because I am a lawyer, because I work for the company I work for, um, I have to give you that standard disclaimer that all of the opinions are mine and nothing is you know, reflecting on my company, et cetera. But um, – a lot of people took note of generative AI and a lot of companies are cashing in, especially on the healthcare industry. I mean, it, it just, it's blossomed. Um, I mean, Google has a whole AI uh, large language model actually based for healthcare. Um, I mean, oh. it, it's a big industry and it's a big issue. So, so, and that's really interesting because it's not been around long, but it's moving super fast. Yeah. And I, and I think that's, that's one of the reasons I think we, we've been chatting, you know, over the last months uh, about this is um, I think, you know, when I look at AI, I think it's a little different. And I know a lot of your audience will, will just sit here and go, oh, the lawyer's going to like explain this to us. But from the layperson standpoint, right, from, well, I guess from my, not really a layperson anymore, from the legal side, when I look at it, I think it's a little bit different than the other technology we've used before. I mean, the other technologies we use, I mean, you have a pen or a pencil, and then you're going to go to a typewriter, which is a little faster. You have a typewriter, and then you're going to go to a computer, which is a little faster. Um, so each of these tools allowed for some efficiency, right, in the use and the method. But the, but the generation, right, the creation process was really fundamentally the same behind it all. It just made it a little bit more efficient to get it out. So I think what we're seeing here and why I think generative, generative AI, and I might slip up and just call it AI at some point. Um, but I think this idea is a little fundamentally different because I think it takes the patterns and the processes and puts them together. So I see it as actually not really a tool that we use to make things more efficient. I mean, it can, but I think it's really how we interact with a set of systems so it's a little bit different, I think, on how we we utilize the tool rather than just oh, this is going to make this you know this monotonous project a little bit more easy to manage. It actually can create and kind of start developing some things. So I think that's why it creates all sorts of anxiety for a lot of people, including me. Well, well, well I, I bet because you're right. It's in the name generative. It means to mm -hmm. generate. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, I mean, just the basics, and and I know what I say is pretty fundamental, but I think that I think. 
that's the point where we start like right there, you know, when we, when we keep talking about, um, you know, how all of your guests, and I've watched a lot of your episodes and I've seen people come in and talk about what AI can do and what it can and all of these cool things, you know? So I followed over the past little while. And while I'm not an expert on the technology side of it, what I do look at is what the C-suite's looking at, what, what the, what the operators are looking at, how are they utilizing or how are they thinking about it even? And I think that's our fundamental starting point is we really need to get a literacy across the entity, right? Whatever entity you're in. So if it's, you know, Intel, if it's, you know, my company, Sutter Health, if it's whatever, I mean, you really do have to start getting a floor and people have to be somewhat conversant with what generative AI is and what it's not. And I think until you get to that point, I mean, it's like using email. Well, it's more intuitive to know what it is because again, it's just a simple tool, but I think generative AI creates a little bit of a barrier without a common understanding. So that's where I'd say, look, we got to start there. Well, all right. And, so and this, is a, this is a big problem, though, because people are already using chat, GPT, Bard, Bing, search. I mean, it's readily right. available. Yeah. And, you know, I talked to I talked to Laura Torres Nui about mm -hmm. this in her classes, and she's teaching how to use it because and how to use it um, effectively and, and all this, because everyone's already using it. She's already, as an English professor, she told us um, in a previous episode that she can't put the genie back in the bottle. It's out. Right. So you've got to well, come up with some kind of policy quick, um, right? Otherwise, yeah. what do you do? Yeah, no, I, I agree. And, and I think what, what I see is there's a couple of policies that I've seen, and I'll use... Um, a nameless child, for example, uh, one of my own. Um, over the summer, they may or may not have had to write a paper on a book. So they read the book. During the process of creating a report, an AI consultant was used. I don't know. I think it was ChatGPT. Um, but what happened in the case of this particular school was they said, yeah, we've detected some anomalies on the how it's written and we think he might have been using generative ai and you know my my child being the stress case that he can be um you know he fessed up and said yeah yeah i did because I, I knew i was in a time crunch and blah, blah, blah and you know he took responsibility for it but it's an interesting policy right the no tolerance policy we don't use it we don't agree with it we don't accept it that's one way to approach it um and a lot of schools are approaching it that way so I use that as kind of the 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 very I don't agree, by the way, I don't agree with that process. And and I mean, obviously, it's my opinion. But even in a school setting, I agree kind of with with what uh, Laura would say. And you got to figure out a way to teach it. You got to figure out a way to embrace it, just like we do any innovation. Um, you know, when companies embraced email, they were just more efficient. Um, you know, when they embraced the Internet. They were more efficient. Those who, who caught on early are the ones who had a lot of success. Um, you know, so what I see here is from a policy perspective overall is you can ignore it. You can actually not just ignore it, but you can actually say, I mean, the ignore part is, is a different subject, but you can actually say, no, we don't use it. We're not going to use right. it. But I think you're right. You can't put that genie back in the bottle. So you're going to have a problem from the very beginning it, because it already became a consumer issue, right? It's already out there and it's hard to say, hey, you can't ever use it or see it or look at it. it it's just there.
So, so what are what are the concerns, right? On that that organizations have with using it, because that's the big question. I mean, um, sure. in the medical field, why not use an AI? You know, why? What what are the ramifications of of using it that organizations are worried about? What's what are those? Well, I, I can say right now that. Um, over all of the industries, you're going to have overlapping concerns, right? Oh, right, right. Um, not just not just specific to to healthcare. I mean, healthcare has its own little uh, nuances as well. Well, because but the privacy so the, laws in healthcare are very right. Very, I mean, and how about uh, autonomous driving? Right, auto manufacturers will have a similar. Hey, what privacy things do we have here? How much data do we want to collect? I mean, there's all sorts of interesting um, applications across the industry. But I think in general, if you're looking at kind of some generalities, I think what what I've been seeing and my colleagues that I talk to have been have been worried about range anywhere from uh, the privacy regulations and that there's a proliferation of state specific privacy laws, what you can and can't. They're usually very consumer focused. The consumer can uh, request that the data be deleted from what, you know, who, where, you what, whatever data. Yeah, you can't. Yeah. And, and so those are some concerns, right? Uh, how can I comply with a regulation that says I can delete data when I really can't delete the data? It's it's in the model, right? I mean, right. I've already yeah. used it to to train. And, um, and I think there's some privacy concerns as well with whether or not that data, whether it's health and health information, uh, you know, defined by HIPAA as PHI or electronic health information, EHI, whatever, whatever acronym you want to use today. Or it's personally identifiable information, which is normally how the state laws are, are identifying either personal information or PII, personally identifiable information. If it's something like that, how are, how are you going to input that and not expect that input to be further disclosed or used? Um, so there's some, there's some privacy concerns just in the overall approach to how, it, how it's done or how it's managed. So I think that gives rise to, that's why you have to be very clear with everybody on board, at least to, I would say, I mean, they don't have to be 100% up to speed on it, but I, they got to be like 30%, right? I mean, they got to have a fundamental idea of what it is. Um, you know, and, and when I say, you know, LLM in the law, that's like a master's of law. That's another year certificate degree. But when I say LLM to any, you know, AI centric that becomes a whole different discussion there. And it's like, oh, well, what, which language model are you using? And how does it, how does it learn? How has it been trained? What biases are implied because of its training? So there's another concern that we have is how the AI model even works in the first place. You know, what's the input? What's the algorithm? What are, what's the training gone what data uh, into? What data train it, right? All, all those right. sorts of things. Right, because all the data that all the data that gets in is is you know being used to create and predict right future outputs. I mean, that's you very know, there simple. There was an interesting article that I reported on on my uh, embracing digital this week newscast, and it was um, that generative AI um, in healthcare could cause underrepresented organ groups individuals, underrepresented uh, individuals to be misdiagnosed because their data hasn't been in the training models. Right. Uh, which, yeah. No, that's a, so that, that's bias, a big, that bias is a big right. deal. Right. So your, your health equity type of movements that are going on right now is to assure that you have different, you know, races, ethnicities, um, socioeconomic, socioeconomic backgrounds. Yeah. yeah. 
all of those, all of those considerations, all those factors are, are input into the healthcare model to get to some sort of data set that represents how healthcare is being delivered and how effective that delivery is to outcomes. Um, it's tricky because you also have autonomy, right? I mean, every patient who's, let's say, just use a, a random category. Let's take me. I'll use me. I'm a white, fairly affluent male in, you know, in California. Okay. Well, what does that mean for me? Well, my data is much, much different than my neighbor who happens to be from India originally. And their data is input into the health system a little bit differently and not track the same. It's not ever been collected in that way. So if I go to the doctor, I'm getting the benefit of a model that perhaps is trained on me, but my neighbor with different um, proclivities or different background is not going to have that same because they're getting a model based on me and they might work. be, yeah. yeah, they might be from, from Bombay or, or, you know, Bangladesh or whatever it is out there, and they have a different marker. They have different um, in input. So it's really interesting to see from the bias standpoint, um, that's definitely true. And, and I know uh, Google came out with their Med Palm, I believe is what they call their uh, AI or their LLM for um, healthcare. And I know that Mayo Clinic, for instance, is using that in terms of how they're looking at creating notes, creating diagnoses and looking at medication interactions, um, all of these things. And it's being being built into the system, which I embrace. I mean, I'm with you. I, I like the title of your series, Embracing It. You have to. There's no way that the healthcare system is going to be isolated from AI or generative AI. Yeah, but with, all, just with all these concerns, though, I could see where a healthcare organization, or not even just healthcare, we could look at it in, in the military or government. They're like going, there's sure. too much risk involved here. Sure. Right? And, and, and there's too uh, much... Too much risk and liability and, and all those things. So why even go there? Well, I think that's a that's a crucial point of beginning to go down the route of do we or don't we use it? Everyone, once they're up to speed and have some sort of baseline and knowing what it is, then they got to say, okay, how is it effective or helpful to our, our product or our business line? Right. You have to go through it because let's say in healthcare, it actually you can go into subsets, right? So you have the actual provision of healthcare and you know that doctor patient nurse interaction where you're actually in person with somebody or like this on a video chat or whatever it is, but you're in person, you have that communication. And based on the knowledge and training of a healthcare professional, you're getting a diagnosis or treatment plan, referrals, etc. Well, how about claims? Right, right. You get billed for those visits. How about claims and how which ones are approved by insurance or which ones aren't? I mean, there are a lot of other administrative functions that the healthcare industry could use it without having a lot of concerns about the biases, the biases that go into it. I mean, there really are. I can tell you right now, I I mean, we haven't even started to talk about the risk. I can list out, you know, you have regulatory requirements either on the privacy or information security, you have cybersecurity issues with okay, who's actually hosting this yeah, AI, yeah, right? Yeah. Who, where did it come from? Yeah, you know, where is it? Where is it going? Who's using it? Who has access to it? Um, you have a lot of contracts. What happens if you actually don't want to have a vendor of yours use AI without at least telling you or have written approval? You have to throw that oh, into I your contract. Yeah, you have to start changing a lot of how you do business just on a on a fundamental level. Your interactions with your contractors becomes different. Um, you have risk with liability, like you were mentioning. If the AI generates something, 
is the AI liable or are we as the company liable? Um, I know the fifth, no, the, the federal circuit. So the DC circuit court, uh, so the US federal circuit court has now said that AI, whatever, generative AI, whoever owns it or runs it cannot be deemed to be an author or a inventor. Yeah, I, I I saw that. In fact, I reported on that as well on my on my weekly uh, newscast. Um, so so what does that mean for you, right? What does that mean for anybody in any industry? How you have to start looking at all of your your processes and going down and saying, hey, let's look at, at having a policy about AI. Um, and we've talked, and I know that your entity has had several different policies. My entity is creating policy and trying to figure out what to do with it. I've talked to others who have something very generic. I have others who have um, decided to ignore it and not have a policy at all. And they've told me that they're like, yeah, we just don't do it. I'm like, well, you are doing it, you know, right, and if yeah, you do whether, it, whether you have a policy or not, it's being, used. Right, you do a, I guarantee you do a little search on your own networks. And I guarantee your employees have done it during work with work in mind. Right. So how do you deal with that as as a risk and how do you recognize? Well, one, you have to recognize the risks that are out there, right? So all of these different things you have, you know, can we use it? Is it beneficial? Which business lines are we going to use it more versus less? How do we integrate it into the systems that we have and build it with privacy and security in mind, right? Using right. those privacy by design or security by design principles and include this as one of those systems that you can utilize. So, so, one, so you got yeah. One one trend I'm starting to see. There's the really super large uh, LLMs like ChatGPT four mm -hmm. and and you know uh, Bard and all those. Right. But I'm also right. seeing the emergence of what I call community Gen AI and private Gen AI, where I can take right. models that were um, generalized and trained, and then train them on my own data and now, and that's not getting loose. That's not getting outside of my own walls. Does that help alleviate a lot of the risk around privacy? If I'm running well, it myself does. now? Yeah, it does. Um, I mean, LLMs come with risk no matter what, wh whether yeah. they're going to be private or not. I mean, they, they may perpetuate that bias, right? They may yeah. even spread misinformation, right? I mean, that 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 level of creativity, or I, I think they call you know, the hallucinations. hallucinations right? Yeah, right. Yeah, that hallucination and that that fog, whatever you want to call. It. I've heard a couple of different terms. Um, whatever you set that level for creativity, I'll just kind yeah. of I, identify it that way, right? The generative part of this, um, you have to be very careful because it could actually just create something that's completely yeah. false. <laughs> that is true. And, and, and it's not malicious. It's just is what it is. It's part of the model, right? That you're generating something. So yeah, I but think you have control over that. Right. Once you have a private, uh, especially in that private, uh, you know, with a, uh, of localized or a specific industry specific or a company specific or a product specific yeah. type of LLM, right? Depending on how, how broad or how narrow you tailor this. I think you do counter a lot of the concerns with the bias, within misinformation, with privacy or security breach uh, potentiality. Um, I actually heard one, um, one uh, I don't know who was, one presenter talk about um, the potential harm to the environment even because of the processing power yeah, that it yeah, creates. They do consume and, a lot. Yeah. I'm like, I, I mean, maybe that's a consideration that some companies will have more than others. Yeah. I, you know, it just depends on the culture and where you are. So I think... 
having that tailored uh, data for appropriate outputs is completely a strategy that I would embrace wholeheartedly. And that's what like the Google Palm, right? The the Palm or Med Palm oh, is. See, to me, that's it's, a community gen AI. It's a community, right? It's a community and it's a broad community, right? It's anyone who wants to jump in on a electronic health record-like system and they want to create, and, and what it does is it pairs with your system that you have existing. It runs data through there and it creates patterns and identifies things. Hey, what are the prescribing patterns? Well, you can use it. Be great. You could use it to identify, hey, is there a diversion problem with this medication? The opioid crisis. How are we doing this with, with all of these prescriptions? Are we prescribing more or less? Are some physicians prescribing over the norm? I mean, you can actually start, you can do a lot of that, but it can automate this. Yeah. So, so. the benefits of a community, especially in healthcare, think about it. Healthcare yeah. community gen AI, where all the doctors in the nation have all the records to everything. Could you imagine what that would do? That would improve healthcare across the nation. Well, and right. and right now, I mean, you have the Office of Health uh, Information, right? O eight um, ONC. You have uh, the Department of Health and Human Services. You have a lot of entities on the federal side who are actually creating information sharing. I mean, they call it information blocking. Well, it's really anti-information blocking in these regulations. Yeah, they're so breaking down. The I'll call it information sharing. And it's openness. You have California coming out with a, um, a, a law last year or two years ago now, and it's coming into effect in uh, another year or two, where you're going to have a direct exchange of healthcare information. So almost every provider some few exceptions, but almost every, certainly every hospital and every big provider practice are going to have to share information through this process. Well, how are you going to generate a report or anything from that? You're going to have to automate it somehow. So there's already with the platforms being envisioned and exactly what you're saying, you can actually utilize AI in a tailored way, right? You can actually have a thoughtful process where you decide what information is put in, how are you going to train it and aim solely for that, right? Aim, aim for that. So you can weed out a lot of the unintelligible or dangerous type of output that you get. Well, if you create something, again, there's limits, right? Uh, obviously, you can't be ultra. Um, I mean, you'll, you'll lose some of the generative part of it as, as you lock it down more. But I do think you can take some, quote, bad outputs or bad data or bad algorithms to get to a thing where you are at a result where you realize, oh, there's a lot of benefit here that we can actually control. And it's going to be fantastic. It's going to it's going to be way more efficient well, in how you share data still, across. There's the still the need for a doctor. That's one thing mm -hmm. I want to get across to people is these yeah. these augment and help uh, professionals do their jobs more effectively and it gives them a way of sharing their knowledge with other people in their same profession in these community gen AIs, uh, which I think are can't be under um, understated because we've been doing this sort of thing in the software development world for decades. We share code all the time, right? Um, now with gen AI, it's going to be easier for us to share code. Doctors, though, haven't really had a great platform to do that in, in the past. And with a Gen AI in the middle, um, helping coordinate and collaborate with through all that data, I think ultimately you're going to get better care and push better care all the way out to the edge um, where a, a, a country doctor can now have all of 
the help of doctors at the top um, medical facilities in the in the world, uh, which is yeah. incredible when you think about it. Yeah, your, your, your integration for digital medicine is going to expand. It's going to be, um, and, and I think, you know, for example, you know, my CEO will tell anyone who will listen that, yeah, that's where we're going because that's where it is. That's where the future actually is, is in that digital medicine. The problems that we're going to face are the regulatory frameworks and the legal side of it is always far behind the right. actual technology side. Of it. And this is not new. This has been since the beginning of time. Um, any type of technology, the law is very slow to come up with a solution or a regulation for it. And that's where I think where you have each company really does need, even if you don't think you're going to use it a lot, you should actually go and look and clearly define the purpose and scope of your AI or generative AI policy, just so you have an, a, a starting point. Every, I would recommend, you know, and, and again, I recommend it to my own client. I recommend it to anybody. You got to go through and define, okay, how are we going to use it? You got to be willing to realize that this is so fast moving. That policy may change every month. Um, it's not one of those one and done types. A couple of times since uh, right. the year. Yeah. Um, and, and as the data sets change, as the ethics around AI evolve, um, you know, can you use for what? Uh, what accountability is there? What privacy guidelines or guardrails are do you have? Um, how about attributing AI? When you do something oh, that's, yeah, that's using AI, how, what's the transparency like? Do you have to identify, hey, this actual, this report or this was helped by AI? Maybe. I, I mean, I don't, I don't, I think regulators are looking at that though. They are very cautious and they want to make sure that even if you used AI, a couple of the uh, law review articles that I have been reading, actually, um, I'll give you one example. One, um, it was, it was, you know, just something on LinkedIn. You know, you just start looking around, and and uh, one of them they had there was a headline that said AI policy. So I'm looking at this, going, "Huh, this is interesting." I've been reading up on this, and they actually ran a prompt through two different uh, AI models, two different language you know, models, and said, "Hey, write a, a generative AI use policy for our law firm." And they ran it and then they had, they posted both policies on there and they clearly said, look, both of these were used, you know, were, were generated solely by AI actually in that case. But then I've seen some others who are, they have an article and it said AI was consulted or used in the generation of this article. But you always have to get back to your point. You always have that person, at least now. And I don't know that that's ever really going to change. You're going to have somebody to review and look at that, right? You're going to have somebody adopt that generative AI product and ideas as they go through it and say, hey, this is how it applies to us as an entity, as a company, or this is what we want out there. This is the diagnosis and we agree with the data that went behind it. So yes, this is, you know, they're going to adopt and kind of sign off on that type of thing, I think is the safest way to use, approach AI at this point. Well, and, and, um, and some of my other guests have said the same thing, right? Um, you can't, fully trust a generative AI right. because of that creativity right. aspect. And I've even, right. I've even played around a lot with generative AI and I asked it, well, where did you get your facts from? Give me some quotes, right? Some references. It made them up. They didn't even right. exist. Right. So we, we, we are going to have to use it as, as a tool, not as replacing me, but as a tool that I have to validate and check 
right? Make sure that it's right um, b- before I, uh, I use anything that it's generating. Yeah, no, clearly. And, and, I think, and I think that comes a lot with the culture that you um, engender in your, in your corporate environment, right? In your company, um, whether it's a school, and you say, no, we can't use AI. Okay, everyone knows the rule. I mean, that's, that's a pretty simple rule. Um, if that's the way they want to go, I, I mean, I understand it. I'm not going to fight against it. I, I get it. But I do think you can harness that, that technology in a way where, okay, let's teach the ethics behind it. Let's teach how we utilize it. Right. In a, in a way to, okay, now you generated something. You still are the author. You still have to go in and say, no, no, I actually don't like this. I actually, this isn't my voice, right? You have to actually start thinking about it in a critical way. And I think you could actually get a better outcome in, in some instances of, with like using the school example. But there's also a whole, uh, I think that leads into the accountability and, and kind of that responsibility model that even in, an, in a corporate environment, you're going to have to get. How are we going to be accountable? Who's, whose role is it in the company to be responsible for the use or the parameters around AI use, right? If you want to come up with a, an acceptable use policy, you want to call it that in your, in your, in your company. Sounds great to me because if you're looking at intellectual property issues and trying to, I mean, you can't copy, AI can't be used for copyrightable type of issues in, on its own. But what happens if you create something using AI, you modify it, to a point where you can adopt it to be yours, yours, and then it's probably fine, right? Yeah, so right. you have to. There's a lot of you have a lot to, to think about. Yeah, yeah. There's and there's all sorts of unquestioned or untested legal theories behind any of that, right? I mean, just because you can't be the inventor, AI can't be deemed an inventor. Uh, well, you can use it in an invention. So how does that work and where's that line? And the answer is uh, that'll still be determined in, in future cases, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, even, but even in Northern California, there was a case um, against OpenAI uh, just filed in June. Um, and it's a, it's a class action suit because they're alleging that it's a violation, a privacy violation, uh, because they were scraping social media posts. They were scraping locations and all sorts of data on these individuals, these users uh, of AI or California consumers, whatever you want to call them. Um, and so there's this case out there about how open AI is now violating just fundamental privacy rights. And in California, there happens to be a constitutional right in the state constitution, a right to privacy. Um, and so that creates a little bit, whereas in the federal government, it's not quite so clear that there is a constitutional right to privacy. Um, so there's 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 some room in there for a lot of litigation risks that come with using AI and and not having a parameter, not having rules set up in your company, just opens you up to risks that you may not otherwise be open to, you know, even like six months ago. Yeah, I, I find it interesting as well that you may not even know you're using AI. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, a great thing just happened. I use a, a tool called Grammarly. That checks my mm-hmm. grammar. I've been working on my dissertation, my PhD dissertation for a long time. And, and I've been using Grammarly. And about two months ago, they added Grammarly Go, which is an AI on the back end. Now, I knew that, but a lot of people don't. So all of a sudden, they're using an AI and not even know they're using an AI. Because right. I'm sure Grammarly sent an email out that say, hey, Grammarly Go uses a generative AI in the back. No one read. No, no one <laughs> Right. Because it's, right. it's in the hundreds of emails I get every day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I happen to research it some, not everyone's going to. So there are going to be um, more and more tools that have generative AI on the back end that are doing things. Um, right. That we don't and I, well, I think, that, I, I think that lends to the whole discussion about when you inst- institute a new tool, right? You go out and contract with some vendor for a data processing right. or, yeah. you know, whatever, whatever it is. Um, you know, in my, in my world, we contract with a lot of different data um, companies, right? They, they, they work through data in different ways. They analyze data and report back to us and give us things that we then can turn into CMS or whoever it is to get paid. Um, there's a lot of things we do. Uh, so there's a lot of data flowing in and out. Well, we wouldn't know whether that entity, right? That Use vendor is using it. And that's one of the that's one of the the cautions I think going right now is um, you know my reading or my reading of the other people's reading of because you know the draft legislation is very tricky to get a hold of in in really good form um, but the federal legislation there's all sorts of discussion about who's going to be liable for things right is the J is the AI company going to be liable for things well that how does that really pass down the liability that, that's a very high level strict liability right wow. so open ai is used in a vendor which that vendor then uses you know passes that information on to a you know your company and you send it to the government are you now defrauding the go- i mean there's all sorts of chain reactions that i can think of that pe- there'd be novel legal ideas here that people are going to say hey who can we blame for something so, in when it was wrong so generative ai has opened up it's going to keep lawyers busy Oh, it definitely oh, will. Okay. And then, you know, as long as it keeps you guys paid, that's all that matters. Yes. <laughs> I, I mean, I guess you got the good thing is I don't bill, right? I'm that's in, right. so right I don't now. have to bill. But colleagues that will bill, oh, I'm sure there is uh, a market out there that it's like the new, um, you know, that new uh, plaintiff's counsel, right? When they have a new law that goes into effect and you can sue people for more money, they're going to go after and you'll have all that. Um, those plaintiffs say, suing companies. Well, this is the similar type of thing. You know, I'm sure that that class action here in Northern California. Guess what? It's a class action, meaning as soon as they certify a class, those attorneys are going to be sending out mailers oh, saying, hey, were, yeah. you effect- were you affected with this? Come and join our lawsuit. And they're going to try to run that number up. And, you know, I'm not saying that they're doing anything nefarious. I mean, if they, you know, that's a legitimate claim, it's a legitimate claim. But uh, yeah, it's certainly it's certainly going to be a big business, I think, in the legal industry for a, a long time. Well, if anything we got from today's episode, it's there's still more to come around. Uh, pol- have a policy, anything. Yeah. And there's still yeah. a lot more uh, to come in this space because there's a lot of unknowns still. Yeah, no, that's definitely I mean, I would say establish a policy, walk through things. It's It's clear. All right, Jeremy, it's always fun talking to you, but. Thanks yeah, for man. coming on the fun. show. Hey, no problem. I liked it. It was fun. Thank you for listening to Embracing Digital Transformation today. If you enjoyed our podcast, give it five stars on your favorite podcasting site or YouTube channel. You can find out more information about Embracing Digital Transformation at embracingdigital.org. Until next time, go out and do something wonderful.